was thinking this week about this passage that we're in. We're in Luke uh, 4, and we'll turn there together and, and read in a moment. Uh, but this is the passage about the temptation of Jesus. And I was, I was thinking about how this happens in Scripture, how it's described to us. And, and for those of you that are regulars, you know that uh, I usually use two different things as metaphors or analogies. And most of the time it's, it's sports. And then other times I'll use movies. And given that it was just Veterans Day, and I've, I've watched a couple of my favorite oh, war movies. I mean, it, World War II, I just recently watched Band of Brothers again. But I was also watching some stuff that was... Uh, much older, and one of the things that caught my attention that I wish that we still, let me finish my thought here before you groan. One of the things that I wish we still had today that existed 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years ago was this concept called single combat, all right? And if you don't know what that is, uh, single combat, if like two opposing forces came together, and we see a little bit of this in the Old Testament, if two opposing forces came together led by two idiots, right, two Fruit Loops, uh, you, could, you could call for single combat and, and one person would have to go against another. So you wouldn't decimate, you know, these forces, these great num tens of thousands or whatever of these people. You could have these two guys fight, right? And whoever won, won the battle. And I think about some of the things that we're um, obviously engaged in today, and you just wish, it's like, why can't those two Fruit Loops face off? Why do we have to engage in all of this other stuff? And it's not just about war or military. We have a tendency to do this uh, in, in other types of, of animosity and confrontation, don't we? Like, Kenna, if you're mad at Matt, you probably call your mom to seek an ally, don't you? <laughs> or your best friend, right? We, we, we scrambled to, to, to grab this host of people, this team of people to be on our side, uh, to, to, to really dig into to whatever is happening. And, and what's interesting to me about this passage that we're in today is that Jesus confronts this head on. He doesn't solicit a team, I mean, beyond obviously the, the spirit that's leading him, and we'll get into that in a moment, but he takes this battle on right away as soon as he's confronted with it. There, there's no sidestepping, there, there's no tiptoeing. Uh, he goes right at the devil, right, right at him. And, and, and so today, I've got a little bit of this military theme here. I'm calling it close combat because it's, it, it's, it's what I just described. It's single combat, right? It's one on one. And we're going to be in Luke 4, 1 through 13, if you want to flip there. Uh, in your Bibles. But just to give you a little bit of a summary of what we're going to be reading here, uh, we're introduced to the devil, and, and he assaults Jesus with wave after wave of temptations. And, and he's really seeking him, uh, seeking to lure him into sin and derail this plan that's been in motion up to this point, right? This is all a continuous 
story that's been building and building and building, and, and we're at this threshold right now. And so Jesus' response uh, to the devil is Scripture. And that's just one thing as we read through it together here in a moment. Uh, you hear this often here. Uh, let's not just, you know, glance over the words or just graze over the words. We, we need to pour into the Word of God. And, and it's a perfect, perfect example in today's passage of why. Uh, we, we see uh, in the third temptation here, the devil himself quotes Scripture. Uh, he misuses it, but he quotes it. So if our enemy is using and quoting Scripture, then what should that tell us, right? We need to be prepared for it as well. And then more importantly, Jesus uses Scripture to refute the temptations uh, of the devil. Now, this was a critical piece to this redemption story. Jesus had to have victory in this, and it was really a foreshadowing of the victory that he would have in the Garden of Gethsemane, later in Luke, uh, Calvary, and obviously the grave, his resurrection. And so without the victory here, uh, the rest of it would never get moving, would never get going. So uh, if you will stand with me, if you're able, uh, the scripture is going to be on the screen as well, but I'd encourage you always to, to be uh, looking uh, in the Bible there. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, one, uh, I have two, two scripture slides here to help set this up. Um, one is, and this will be a reminder from previous messages, uh, Jesus in every way understands uh, the brokenness uh, and the temptation and the people that we are, okay? First, uh, Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things uh, like we are, yet is without sin. And so Jesus uh, steps in here, uh, not being someone who can't understand the situation that we're in. He, he understands it in complete and, and, and totality, right? Because he doesn't sin. So he completely rejects temptation. And then a second one that should be familiar here, since we're talking uh, about the devil here, we're introduced to it here in a moment. Uh, you might uh, find Ephesians 6, 12 and 13 familiar. It says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. And we see a perfect example of this today uh, in Jesus's response. Luke chapter four. And now Jesus, full, in the, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was being led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when, and when he had finished, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. 
And the devil said to him, I will give you all this dominion and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for your son, Jesus, who in today's passage uh, gives us uh, such a great example of facing adversity and facing temptation and and how we uh, can and should respond to that. Lord, Lord, we thank you for bringing us together today as brothers and sisters in Christ uh, as we get to praise uh, your name through uh, song and worship, and, and also through study of your word. Lord, I think of those in our uh, congregation who are not well at this time, surgeries and, and continued illnesses and sickness. Lord, if it's your will, I ask you to provide a straight and clear path to recovery and full recuperation. Lord, be with us today and give us open hearts and, and open minds as we study your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be seated. I want to start a little bit with some general context uh, about this passage. And the first thing we we don't see directly um, in the passage here, but perhaps if you've uh, studied this before, uh, you've or, or other places in the Bible, you've heard this concept about first Adam and second Adam. First Adam is obviously the Adam that we're introduced to uh, in Genesis. Uh, but second Adam is Jesus, and he's referred, at, referred to as such uh, in places like Romans 5.1 uh, and, and Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. And so we can't escape here when we, when, you, when we know the larger context of the Bible that there's sort of this comparison between the temptation that was in the garden with Adam and the temptation that we see here. We have these two famous temptations. And I just simply wanted to point out, uh, as Luke has so far through this gospel and will continue to, he likes to use contrast. He likes to uh, contrast this versus that, dark versus light, those types of things. And, and, And I can't help here but see some of the contrast between the temptation of the first Adam and the temptation of the second Adam, uh, who we know as Jesus. Now, there is some obvious differences uh, between the two. Adam faced temptation, think about this, in the best possible surroundings, right? The Garden of Eden. Uh, Life was, was, was perfect, However, Jesus, we read in this passage, uh, couldn't be much worse of a setting, right? So we see this juxtaposition between 
uh, paradise, and then what's labeled here as, as wilderness, and I'll get more into that uh, in a moment. Uh, Adam lived in the sinless perfection of the pre-fall world, right? Pre-fall world. And so sin wasn't introduced until the interaction between the serpent, uh, Eve, and Adam. Uh, Whereas Jesus came on the scene, this temptation occurred in a sinful, fallen world. So in Adam's case, there was no buildup, right? There's no buildup that, that lured Adam into this temptation. He, he, he folded the first time that he was confronted with temptation. In contrast, Jesus faced repeated temptations. We, we don't know a ton about his life before we see his ministry introduced uh, here, but for sure, being fully human, like Scripture tells us, he faced temptation and trials even before we see his public ministry take off, and then obviously the temptation that we see here. Adam uh, had the whole garden to choose and eat from except for one place, right? So there was an abundance of food. And what do we see in our passage today? No food at all, right? 40 days of fasting Jesus went through. And so just wanted to give you a little bit of that. Again, if you study this passage, uh, or, or this is probably a concept that, that, that you would uh, hear about. Uh, secondly, uh, Jesus was fully prepared for battle. Uh, it says here that he was full of the Holy Spirit. So fully prepared for battle. This full of the Holy Spirit phrase should be familiar to us. Uh, We see this a lot through Scripture, both Old Testament and New. Uh, For some reference, we see uh, early on in Luke, uh, our our main players were full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Elizabeth, Zacharias, uh, John the Baptist. Uh, On the day of Pentecost, 120 believers gathered in the upper room and were filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, As Peter confronted the Sanhedrin, uh, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, God's word tells us. Uh, The believers who were gathered to hear Peter and John after their release were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, The seven men that were chosen to serve the early church, Scripture says, were full of the Holy Spirit. Later on, it talks specifically about Stephen being full of of the Holy Spirit. Talks about Barnabas and and Paul on the Damascus Road being full of the Holy Spirit. Being full of the Holy Spirit is a prerequisite, is a requirement, is an absolute necessity to being prepared for battle, right? Nothing else really matters after that if if you don't have the Holy Spirit, like we see with Jesus in this passage. This is him being fully prepared to go to battle. A second point about the Holy Spirit, uh, we need to understand as believers that it's not if, but it's when trials will come. When trials will come. And we see this phrase here, 
I've read this a bunch of times, and I mean, I, I, it, it, I've noticed it, but studying this week, it really caught my eye that he was being led around by the Holy Spirit. Does that seem weird, right, in this whole scenario? Being led around by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Seems a little odd, doesn't it? Like, why would the Holy Spirit be leading Jesus through these stages of temptation. John 16, 33 says, I've said these things to you that, that in me you may have peace and in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So it would seem that there's this connection between the Holy Spirit and and working through suffering, working through trials and tribulations. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's not if trials will come, it's when trials will come. Uh, Typo there, James, that's James 1, verses 2 through 4. Uh, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in Nothing, lacking in nothing. What we see from Jesus' conception through the birth narrative, uh, through that, that odd scene when he was 12 years old in the temple to the beginning or his baptism and then the beginning of his ministry here, uh, that he lived his life totally filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit. That includes the good, the bad, the indifferent. And so the Spirit is leading him through all of this. And what we see as an example from Christ here is we've talked about Philippians 2 a couple times in the last few weeks. Remember, it says that he emptied himself, that he gave up himself. And what's he doing? He's yielding to the Father's will. He's yielding to the control of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is leading, is guiding him through these difficult times, these these temptations. The setting that we're in, the physical setting that we're in, it says in the wilderness, in the wilderness. Now, some of you have uh, seen a few of these pictures before, but for those that haven't, uh, the darker shaded area is what's called the Judean wilderness. We saw this is where John the Baptist operated, and this is over on the right side there uh, towards the top. That's the Jordan River that it's kind of following. That's where a lot of John the Baptist's ministry came from. But when we hear wilderness, I think especially up here in the UP, I remember when the, the, the first time that we came up here uh, for the interviews, like we crossed the bridge, and man, I, I, like I thought I was in a different world. It's like, what are all these trees? Like, there's trees everywhere. It was almost, like, scary. I'm from Indiana, so, like, soybeans and corn and 
I mean, rolling hills if we're being generous. And so we get over the bridge and it's like, goodness, all of these trees. And so I, like, if I just read that passively and I think wilderness, for me, I think trees, but that's not what it was. This is what it is. So desolate, desert, some, some closer ups. This doesn't look very fun, does it? Ravine there, rocky, sharp. And so this is the wilderness that, that, that Jesus is in right now for 40 days. No food. And what that does, before I hit that last point there, think about in the wilderness, especially if we've got a, a faith background, Christian or not, you, you hear this... Um, Phrase, I'm kind of in the wilderness right now, right? I've heard this, especially as a pastor, when I'm talking to believers that maybe are backsliding, right? Or um, not having good things in their life right now. I'm like, I'm kind of in this wilderness area. What is it that we're saying when we talk about the wilderness? I mean, surely this is not a, a, a complete list of what we're talking about, but we're talking about being vulnerable, right? Being vulnerable because of isolation, uh, deprivation, uh, and, and, and we're in a weakened state. And so when you look at these pictures, and isn't that sort of a physical rep representation of being isolated? Physically, obviously, but then mentally and spiritually. This is part of what Luke is trying to convey in the wilderness. We're in this desolate area. We're isolated. We see specifically that Jesus is deprived of food. And when we're isolated and we're deprived, what does that make us? Weak. And it makes us vulnerable. And this is where we see the devil introduced. That last point there, being tempted by the devil, being tempted by the devil. I wanted to talk briefly about this since it's the first time uh, that we're seeing it uh, in, in, in our scripture here. Uh, just for those that, that may have uh, less familiarity with it, uh, the, the devil goes by several names in the Bible. Uh, Satan, uh, the word means slanderer or deceiver, accuser, adversary, things like that. Those are not very good descriptors, right? That's not something that you want to describe uh, you. Uh, what we see in Scripture is not a lot, but we see some places uh, specifically in the Old Testament, but also in Revelation that gives us a glimpse of, of who Satan, who the devil is. Uh, is. Uh, and originally, he was a holy angel, uh, Lucifer. Uh, and we, we, we see some descriptors in Isaiah and Ezekiel specifically. Uh, Lucifer was the highest of all created beings. Uh, Ezekiel says, blameless in his ways from the day he was created until unrighteousness was found in him, right? Until unrighteousness was found in him. He became arrogant and in his pride sought to raise his throne above the stars of God. So in a nutshell, he was trying to usurp God. He was trying to take God's 
place and make himself what we read often in Scripture as the most high, right? Sound familiar? And so as a result of this sin, as a result of this pride, uh, Satan was cast out of heaven. And and we read in Revelation that apparently one-third of the angels went with him and he was cast down uh, to the earth. Uh, The Bible describes him as a liar, a murderer, a dragon, a snake, the accuser, uh, the evil one, the God of this world uh, who blinds the minds of the unbelieving, the prince of the power of the air. Uh, Peter calls him a roaring lion, uh, and Paul calls him the tempter. The tempter might sound familiar when we think about Genesis 3, right? Isn't that what he did? He, He tempted, he lured Adam and Eve, and then ultimately... Uh, all of us through this temptation. I've got three points that I want to work through each of these temptations with. And the first one uh, is don't doubt the mission. Don't doubt the mission. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, Tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. What we see here in these these three different temptations is that Satan is trying to deceive. Now, I don't know if you've been around someone that's very good at deception or very good at lying, but the very best Con artists, the very best liars and deceivers have quite a bit of truth in the lie, right? It makes it believable. And we see that primarily uh, through each one of these is that there's truth in each one of these temptations, but it's twisted, it's, it's warped. And so it worked on Adam and Eve, and it doesn't work on Jesus, You see, deception can only hope to succeed when there is partial truth to it. I mean, think about uh, if you've had kids and they're young and they try to tell you a lie, right? Usually it's this crazy, like, uh, isn't there a kid's movie where he's, oh, no, 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 I'll tell you one since my son's here. I'm going to call him out here. So we were... Still in Indiana at the time, and so this would have been probably, I don't know, 2010-ish. So David would have been 10-ish, and I had a, like a Red Ryder BB gun, all right? And, and we had targets in the backyard, and typically he was not allowed to shoot without me, right? You shoot your eye out, right? <laughs> and so... I, don't, I, I believe what, what happened was I went to go mow the lawn, and I, I'm cruising around the backyard. Our, our yard was sort of shaped like a pie. We're, this was suburbanite, right? And so I'm mowing the backyard, and, and I come across a dead bird laying in the backyard. And it was quite obviously it hadn't run into anything. Like, you know, it's, right? And immediately my thought went to, David and BB gun, right? And so as a kid, 
You're scrambling to fit some truth in with a lot of deception and lying. So I get done mowing, and, and I don't even know if he remembers this, but I remember asking him, hey, were you shooting the BB gun? No, I, I don't think so. Are you sure you weren't shooting the BB gun? Well, I, I might have been. Okay, because when I was mowing, I found, I found a, a dead bird in the backyard and sort of that blank stare, not talking about anything, like tight-lipped, right? And I said, um, some of our houses have had big windows, so like, you know, we'll get a bird run into the window and you can tell when that happens. Well, this one was quite obviously shot. And I said, you weren't shooting at birds with you because that was one of the rules. We're not going to shoot at squirrels. Now, I shoot chippies all over the place at our property here because they're terrors. They are devils. Um, but we're not going to shoot birds in our backyard. That, I, you know, I, I stumble and porky pigging, bleep, 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 right? You know, when I was shooting, it flew in front of me. I don't know if you've ever seen the baseball video of Randy Johnson with the baseball and the pigeon. Uh, but yeah, so I'm just shooting at the target, and what do you know? This tiny little BB hits this bird that, that flew in front. And of course, I don't really remember what happened from there. But like, there was truth wrapped in with deception, truth wrapped in with lie. And that's this tactic that, that Satan uses here. He, he, he's using this truth wrapped in some lie. And that's something that we need to be weary of. That's something that we need to be very cognizant of. Uh, It just builds as we uh, get down the passage here. Where is their truth and where is their lie? What does that require from you and I? We've got to know it to be able to pick out the deception, right? Again, diligent with our study of the word, diligent with our scripture reading. You can get into all sorts of conversations. Here at church, in a Bible study where somebody says this and somebody says that, and maybe there's some stuff taken out of context. At work with the family member, and this stuff can turn contentious fast. You've got to be able to rightly handle the word of God, and to be able to rightly handle it, you've got to know it, right? To be able to discern the truth from deception. One thing I wanted to point out here um, that may not be immediately, uh, or that might not immediately catch you is that if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a bread. Satan isn't wondering if Jesus is the Son of God. Satan knows that Jesus is the Son of God. The demons know that Jesus is the Son of God, right? And yet I want you to think about uh, some other church denominations, some other Bible studies that you might be a part of, some things that you read Uh, on the internet or hear podcasts or whatever. And what is the one thing that a lot of uh, other folks will counter with, will push back against? The, The deity of Jesus, right? He wasn't fully God. He wasn't fully human. 
He was just a guy with some good principles that I ought to follow. I would just simply point out that if our enemy, if our adversary doesn't question whether or not Jesus is the Son of God, then that ought to call into question anytime we hear this from some of our sources, right? But what about these examples in Scripture? We see this in a number of different places. We see it in Matthew, Luke, Mark, and other places where they know who Jesus is. There's no wonder. There's no wonder. There's no what about. The if would be better translated as since if we looked at the Greek. And think about how that changes the sentence. I don't know why they translate things sometimes the way they do. Since you are the son of God. Doesn't that change it a little bit? Because you are the son of God, then. Affirming that he's the son of God. Now, one thing that we should know or something that we should know specifically about this temptation is that uh, the devil's suggestion that Jesus command a stone to become uh, bread wasn't some kind of temptation in self-indulgence because obviously it's not a sin to eat when we're hungry. Uh, If you research uh, sermons and commentaries on this, some some of these concepts that come up uh, can get pretty crazy, but this isn't about Jesus being self-indulgent or not. And this also is not to get Jesus to show off uh, his power. So when we're showing off, don't we want to do it in front of an audience? I mean, what good does it do to show off by ourselves or with one other person? So this isn't Satan trying to get Jesus uh, to show off. His objective here was more subtle. And this is how good of a deceiver he is. You see, the devil's very well aware of the incarnation, that he's fully God and fully man. And the devil understands what that means. Remember, we talked about how Jesus emptied himself. He set his divine power aside for the time that he was living as a full human here on earth. And so what was happening here is the devil was attempting Jesus to get him to distrust God's love for him, to get him to doubt the mission. That's what this was about, to get him to doubt the mission that he was on. Jesus has a great response here, and and, and we see this uh, accentuated in other places in Scripture as well. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work, right? Matthew 6, this uh, should be a familiar passage to us. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I mean, we see this in his, 
in his response, man shall not live on bread alone. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I think I intended to uh, put this on there, and then it was more verses that I wanted to scramble to format. So I'm going to read to you uh, a short little uh, snippet of Psalm 73. You're free to turn there with me if you want. Our response in these situations is often to forget the mission to veer off course, to wonder if God really loves us. Because after all, if he loved us, then why would he put us in this predicament? Why would God set us on this mission with all of these obstacles and and roadblocks? Psalm 73, verse 3, For I was envious of the boastful. I saw the peace of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat not withered away. They are not in trouble as other men, and they are not stricken along with the rest of mankind. Therefore, lofty pride is their necklace. The garments of violence cover them. Their eye bulges from their fatness, and their delusions of their heart overflow. They scoff and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue goes through the earth. Therefore, his people return here to his place, and waters of fullness are drunk by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease they have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. So this is... Often our response, it would echo the psalmist here, right? When we face adversity, when we face obstacles and barriers, it's easy for us to to, to look out and think, well, why doesn't that person have those same barriers? Why doesn't uh, that group have those same obstacles? I'm on a mission for God here, and yet obstacle after obstacle after obstacle right? That's what our common uh, stance is. And yet, uh, for Jesus, we, that's not what we uh, see with him. We see him respond uh, in that bold way directly to Satan. Man shall not live on bread alone, right? And so that gives us hope. We, we know that temptations are coming. As I said, earlier, and we're bold in our witness, bold in our faith. The second thing that I see here is that that we're not supposed to skip the objectives. And so I might not be getting this totally and completely right. I I know that there's uh, some folks that have served in in lots of different ways than I have in the military. Uh, But typically speaking, there's a mission, right? There's, there's the overall mission. I need to complete this. But along the way, there's these 
different objectives, checkpoints, waypoints that you have to check off as you go. Now, we're tempted sometimes to skip these things because we encounter a difficulty and whatnot, and yet that can often come back to bite us. And so what we see here in this next temptation is Jesus not skipping uh, these objectives, not, not questioning God's plan in the way that he has it laid out for us. Uh, this second one, and he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this dominion and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And so, having failed on his first attempt uh, to get Jesus to, to veer off uh, the overall mission, uh, the devil tries a little bit different approach here. So he leads him up on this high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the, all the kingdoms of the earth, Scripture says. And he says, uh, this can be yours. I'll, I'll give it to you. This domain can be yours and all the glory that goes along with it. He says, because it's been handed over to me and I can do with it uh, as I wish. See what Satan's objective here was, was to get him to skip over everything that we're going to read about in the rest of the gospel, right? And skip all the way to the end where the kingdom was his. You're not going to go through the trials and the tribulations. Uh, you're not going to go through getting scourged. You're not going to go through getting crucified. You're not going to go through dying. You can have it now. If only you skip over these things, I'll give it to you now. You see this lie, right? We don't get to dodge these things anymore than Christ could dodge these things. We, we see Old Testament prophecy after prophecy talk about the path that Jesus had to walk for the plan of redemption to come true, for it to come to complete fruition, right? He couldn't skip a step. He had to endure all of that. I think my slides are out of order here. Wow. Maybe it was the brisket and the turkey. I, I know. It's, it's, it's about, you know what? We're going to wrap up. All right? I'm going to call an audible here. I used a movie reference earlier. I'll use a sports one now. Um, this was probably taking on way too much to get through in, in one sermon anyway. So we'll come back next week and we'll recap a little bit of this front part and we'll get through uh, this uh, study through the second temptation and the third and then how the passage closes. So uh, please uh, come back next week and I would encourage you, uh, like any week, read over this passage. Pray over it. See the things that, that, that stick out to you um, and then ask questions about it and study that further. I don't ever want 
this to be your only source connected to God's word and connected to God's people during the week. And I think all too often we can fall into that trap, right? Be around God's people and study God's word uh, through the week. And, and, and we'll pick this up and continue it uh, next week. So sorry for the abrupt stop, but um, yeah, I think it's time. So let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you again for being here with us this morning. Lord, thank you for the example that, that you show as your ministry is just beginning, you're confronted with uh, this isolation and, and the deprivation that we see and, and the weariness in which you would have encountered uh, the devil, that he was trying to get you at your weakest, and yet you were strong, Lord. You were true, and you pushed back, and you, you fought uh, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, and you fought back with God's word, Lord, and that's our example. Lord, I pray that, that the Spirit resides in each and every one of us that are here this morning and, and those that will watch online, Lord, and if we don't have that, uh, I pray that, uh, that we'll seek earnestly for you and, and, and know that you are there when we call on you. And I pray for you to be with us oh, this week as we encounter uh, all sorts of different roadblocks and barriers and that we would have the strength and perseverance that, that we see Jesus uh, show us in this passage. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Be sure to stay up to date with the latest information at lscc.tv. While you're there, click on Connect to find a way to get more involved at LSCC or learn about how to put your talents to work in one of our ministries. If you've been blessed by this podcast and call LSCC home, consider supporting LSCC financially by going to lscc.tv give. Big or small, every gift helps us in our mission to love God, love others, and be the church in our mission field, near and far. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you back next week.